At this time, I invite you to turn your Bibles to our Old Testament scripture passage and our New Testament scripture passage. Our Old Testament passage is from Ezekiel 36. You'll find that on Pew Bible page 1,344. 1,344, Ezekiel 36, verses 16 through 32. And then our New Testament scripture passage is going to be 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 11. 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 11. And then we will also be reading Lord's Day 26 from the Heidelberg Catechism. That will be found on page 33 in the back of the green psalter. You can just open that up and flip it and put it on the side. I know, I, I know this is a lot of reading. Last week somebody complained to me that they wanted more reading, so we're going to do more reading. So. so for this evening, first we're going to hear from the... From the Old Testament, Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 16 through 32. It's on the right-hand column about a third of the way down. In the beginning of the paragraph there. Verse 16 through verse 32. Again, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, when the people of Israel were living in their own land, they defiled it by their conduct and their actions. Their conduct was like a woman's monthly uncleanliness in my sight. So I poured out my wrath on them because they had shed blood in the land and because they had defiled it with their idols. I dispersed them among the nations and they were scattered through the countries. I judged them according to their conduct and their actions. And wherever they went among the nations, they profaned my holy name. For it was said of them, these are the Lord's people, and yet they had to leave this, his land. I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel profaned among the nations where they had gone. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name, of you, the name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Sovereign Lord, when I show myself holy through you before their eyes. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all of your impurities and all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You will live in the land I gave your forefathers. You will be my people, and I will be your God. I will save you from all your uncleanliness. I will call for the grain and make it plentiful, and will not bring famine upon you. I will increase the fruit of your trees and the crops of your fields, so that you will no longer suffer disgrace among the nations because of famine. Then you will remember your evil deeds and wicked deeds, and you will loathe yourselves for your sins and detestable practices." I want you to know that I am not doing this for your sake, declares the Sovereign Lord. Be ashamed and disgraced of your conduct, O house of Israel. Thus far, our Old Testament reading. And our New Testament reading, again, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. 
If any of you has a dispute with another, dare he take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, appoint as judges even men of little account in the church. I say this to shame you. It is possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers, but instead one brother goes to the law against another, and this in front of unbelievers. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means that you have already been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor the adulterers, nor, or, sorry, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And this is what some of you were, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Thus far, the reading of our New Testament passage. Turning in the back of the green Psalter hymnal to Lord's Day 26 on page 33 of the green Psalter hymnal in the back, we will be reading. Uh, question and answers 69, 70, and then if you flip the page, 71. So, 69, 70, and 71. I will read the question, and if you could please respond with the answer. People of God, how does baptism remind you and assure you that Christ's one sacrifice on the cross is for you personally? In this way, Christ instituted this outward washing and gave it with promise that as surely as water washes away the dirt from the body, so certainly his blood and his spirit wash away my soul's impurity. In other words, all my sins. Children of God, what does it mean to be washed with Christ's blood and spirit? To be washed with Christ's blood means that God, by grace, has forgiven my sins because of Christ's blood poured out for me in his sacrifice on the cross. To be washed with Christ's spirit means that the Holy Spirit has renewed me and set me apart to be a member of Christ so that more and more I become dead to sin and increasingly live a holy and blameless life. And flip the page to question 71. Children of God, where does Christ promise that we are washed with his blood and spirit as surely as we are washed with the water of baptism? In the institution of baptism where he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. This promise is repeated when Scripture calls baptism the washing of regeneration and the washing away of sins. Let us ask the Lord's blessing upon our study this evening. Let's pray.
Almighty God, as we have read your word and as we have read the catechism which has been inspired by your word, we ask that your word would penetrate to our hearts, would cut to the very joints and marrow of our bones that we may be changed, that you would take away our hearts of stone and give us hearts of flesh, that we would be molded and shaped by you, that our minds would be engaged, that we may go from this place and be salt and light to be your children in this world. This we ask in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. People of God, brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, those beloved by him and called saints, when was the last time you thought about your baptism? When was the last time you seriously considered what it meant to be baptized in the church? We have churches from far and wide, from here and there that call themselves Baptists, even. Maybe that was the last time we thought about baptism. Being part of several theological groups, I come across Baptist pastors and elders and members and people on boards, and we always have the funny ribbing of, well, you know, at least we don't have to wait until they say something to baptize our children. And they go, well, at least we know who we're baptizing before we do it. The politeful ribbing continues back and forth until eventually we just laugh and say, isn't it good to be brothers in Christ? And we leave it at that. But seriously, what does it mean to be baptized? What's the point of having a baptismal font in the front of our church? Why do we have children, sometimes even adults in our churches, that will come and have a little water sprinkled on their forehead? Lord willing, eventually, as we have a new birth in our church, we will get to see it again. And we will see this sacrament before us. But what does it mean to be baptized? Well, we have heard in our passages this evening and from the Lord's Day that we have just read that the word washed comes through over and over again. You will be cleaned. Your hearts will be changed from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. You are washed, and I will put my name on you, says the Lord. Paul even talks about how some of you were these, but now you were baptized, you were washed, you were sanctified. So again, what does it mean to be baptized? Well, people of God, as we look at our passages this evening, as we look at our Heidelberg Catechism, the sort of scope of what we're looking at with baptism. Baptism is a sign and a seal of Christ, what he has done, and the promise that is given to us that we are no longer of this world, but that we are holy. And so tonight we'll talk about two points, two simple points. I know it's really dangerous when a pastor comes up and says, I only have a couple things to say to you tonight. The first point is this. Baptism is a sign. It's a sign. And I guess that leads us to the question, what is a sign? What's the point of a sign? 
When you take your driver's test, hint, hint, wink, wink to those of you who don't have your license yet, they will give you something on a piece of paper that just has the outlines and colors of signs. And you have to say, okay, this one's a stop sign, this one's a caution sign, this one's a yield sign, this one's a one-way sign. This one means that there's a merge ahead, or this means that the, the road is diverging. And you will have to just buy the shape and the color of the sign. Indicate what the sign, or tells what, tell what the sign indicates. I've yet to see a vacation where people are driving down the road, and they go, oh, look at that sign. Cool. All right, let's go home. No, instead, when you go driving or you are on vacation, you follow the signs to your destination. I'm sure you guys, when you went to New York, you followed signs to get to New York. You're going, okay, I need to head east, not west. It'd be really hard to get to New York by way of California. But when you go out into the world, there are signs everywhere. My first internship, I was in New York. And on my day away, like a good tourist does, I went to New York City. And I went to Times Square. And I saw the plethora of billboards around me. The 3D animated things, the neon lights. And I sat there in Times Square. And the first thought I had was, wow, how expensive is all this stuff? There's Coca-Cola signs and Pepsi signs and this Broadway show and that thing over there and this wonderful Samsung whatever over here. Thousands and thousands of dollars, millions had to be spent in this place, all for signs. And for what? Well, you know what marketing's good for? Separating suckers from money. Hello, sucker, how are you doing? Can I have your money? But the whole thing about it is, there's a sign. And the sign is indicating something to you. But the sign in and of itself is not the destination. When we look at baptism, it's just that important. Baptism is not the destination. You can't go, I was baptized, therefore, unless you know the significance behind that baptism. Just because you're baptized doesn't make you somehow better than someone else. Just because you're baptized doesn't instantaneously say, aha, I was washed with water, I'm done, I'm clean, I got no problems whatsoever. Believe me, if you were sprinkled as a baby, it'd be really, really bad if you hadn't taken a shower since then. Just because a little water hits your forehead doesn't mean that you are somehow miraculously this, that, and the other thing. Not if it's just baptism. So then, what does it point to? The signs in Times Square pointed to a product, or pointed to a service, pointed to a Broadway show, or pointed to the latest phone, pointed to a bottle of Coke. 
or a can of Pepsi. The sign pointed you to something. A sign on the road will point you to a crosswalk coming up or that the road is a one-way road. It will point you to Iowa or Indiana. It will point you to Wisconsin or to Missouri. It will point you to California or Florida. It points you in a direction, but it will never be the point itself. It's not the destination. So what does our baptism point to? Well, it does not point to faith. It will not point to faith. It's not a sign of faith. You might go, wait a second, that doesn't track. What do you mean it's not a sign of faith? To be baptized is to be something, to be called away, and it's an indication of what God's done. Ah, what God's done. It's not an indication that you somehow are now reading your Bible more. It's not an indication that somehow you're praying every day. It's not an indication that somehow, somewhere, you are now something worthwhile. It's not a sign of your faith. Because my faith is not something that is devoid of itself. A few weeks ago when I was here and I talked about faith, I talked about what faith was and the three points. And it's so great when you hear it again this morning as, Doc, as uh, Reverend Brinks talked about faith and the three points of our faith and how there was facts about our faith and then there was an assent that these things are true and then there is a trust that goes beyond it. That there is living your life as though these things were absolutely true and there was, an, there was a fiducia, a faith to it. But even faith indicates to something else. So baptism cannot be a sign of our faith. It can't be a sign that I finally made a decision for Christ and therefore I should be baptized. Because that falls short of the standard. I'm still pointing at myself if that's what it is. So it can't be a destination. And baptism cannot be about our faith. So what is it about? Baptism is pointing to Christ. Baptism is not a sign of faith, but it is a sign of Christ upon whom faith relies, upon whom our faith relies. It's a sign that points to Christ and our union to him by faith. It doesn't point at faith. It points at the grace which supplies our faith. And that grace is the work, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It points to the grace of Christ himself. You see this external washing with water is merely a sign. As question and answer 69 talks about tonight, 
Christ appointed the external washing with water, adding this promise that as surely as I'm washed by his blood and spirit from all pollution of my soul, that is from all my sins, I'm washed externally with water by which the filthiness of the body is commonly washed away. It's the old version. Our version tonight, as surely as water washes away dirt from the body, so certainly his blood and his spirit wash away my soul's impurity. In other words, all my sins. The sign of baptism is what Christ has done. His work, his life, his death. It's the washing. It's the change that has occurred. It's the difference between who we were and who we are. Baptism is a sign. It's a sign of what's been done. In Ezekiel, when it was still a promise, we hear, I will take you from the nations, I will gather you from the countries, I will bring you into your own land, I will sprinkle clean water on you. You shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols, and I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from, your, from you and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. The promise of Ezekiel is fulfilled in Christ. The spirit has been granted to us ever since we hear about it from Pentecost. What Christ has done has been indicated by a washing. It is an external manifestation of an internal reality. What do I mean by that? Well, let me put it this way. Lord willing, when Hezekiah gets baptized, we're not going to suddenly see him go from green to blue. We're not going to suddenly see Hezekiah's hair color change just because of some water. We're not going to see because there's salt or some chemical or something like that that automatically you're going to see him boom, magically appear in front of your eyes as something different. But what we are going to see is a sign that no matter the fallings, no matter the failings, no matter what we once were, as 1 Corinthians puts it in chapter 6, no matter, once we, no matter what we once were, whether it was an adulterer, a sexually immoral, an idolater, a homosexual offender, a thieves, a greedy person, a drunkard, a slanderer. It doesn't matter that we were once those things. But instead the indication of baptism is that you are not what you once were. That the power of Christ washes you clean. As Isaiah 8 says, come and I will wash you, even though your sins are like scarlet, I will wash you whiter than wool, though you be stained, I will wash you whiter than snow. How does it begin? Come, let us reason together. I don't like that word reason just because 
That Hebrew word there indicates so much more in the English. We just don't have a good word for it. Come, let us have a, a meeting of the minds. Come, let us have a, a coming together, a communal understanding of the Spirit. Come, let's come together. Again, I can't translate it properly because English, I don't think, has a word like that. But the idea that God comes and brings his grace and therefore there is a change. And that justification is what baptism is a sign of. What else is justification? Or what else is baptism? It's not just a sign. It's a sign that points to Christ. It's a sign that points to the washing. It's a sign to point, that points to what Christ has done to, for us in justification. But it's also a seal. Like I asked with our first point, let's go along with the second point. What's a seal? It's something we don't really see a lot of nowadays. Maybe on an official document from time to time, if you own a business or if you have a birth certificate or something that is an official document, maybe you'll see a seal. But before, back when adhesives weren't exactly the most common thing, you would have a letter that was sent and there would be a wax seal that would be pressed and stamped. And that press was called a seal that would indicate by the impression left that this letter was untouched by the messenger, that it was issued for the recipient, that the eyes of the messenger were not privy to the information here. Eventually, seals became understandings of certifications. You can have a seal of the state, like a seal of the state of Illinois, a seal of a country, the great seal of the United States, a seal of an important office, like the seal of the President of the United States. These seals have the authority of their offices. These seals are given as official certifications. Yes, we agree and certify that this information is true. So then what is baptism a seal of? Well, that's an interesting question because that is not an easy question. Seal comes from someone and goes to someone. A seal comes from a person that is either authorizing or is the sender of something. And it is then given to either the people around who view a document, where the document is attested as true, or it is given to the recipient, like the letter example, and that seal is a promise that the information is confidential that this is for your eyes and your eyes only. That what is here is from this particular person and that it has not been altered in any way. So what is the seal of baptism? Well, first of all, 
we can talk about the seal of baptism as having the authority of the one who instituted it, namely Christ himself. The authority of baptism, the importance of the sign that is given, that the information that it contains comes from the sender, and that sender is God himself. The seal is that the justification that you have received is true. It's unbreakable. This morning, Reverend Brinks talked about covenants, an indication of covenants. Baptism is a sign and seal of the covenant that we have with Christ. As I said previously, it is a sign and seal of the unity that we have with Christ through faith. Not an indication of the faith itself. You see, when we talk about the seal here, we talk about the one who has sent it. The one who has stamped it. The one who has said, this is true, this is right, and this is unbreakable. When children or adults are baptized in this church, you are baptized in the name of the Trinity, the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The name of the Trinity is invoked to show the truth of what is being certified, to show the authority of the one who has placed their name upon the child or upon the adult that has professed for the first time. The seal of baptism means that the sign of what has been done is now a is now like a certificate of authenticity. Not only is it true, but it is unbreakably true. But the seal also indicates something else. It is a seal of what is to come. If I can spell. It's a seal of the promise. It's a seal of the benefits. It's a seal that says the sign indicating what Christ's work was, the justification that you enjoy, now also is a seal which seals to you all the benefits thereof. It's like having a coupon, which is a variation of a contract, which says many times the bearer of this is allowed something. Well, what does the bearer of a true baptism have? Chapter 36, verse 33, in Ezekiel states, Thus says the Lord God, On that day I will cleanse you from all your iniquities. I will cause the cities to be uninhabited. The waste places shall be rebuilt. And the land that was desolate shall be tilled. Instead of being the desolation that was in the sight of all who passed by, they will say, this land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden. And the waste and the desolate and the ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. 
then the nations that are left all around you shall know that I am the Lord, that I have rebuilt the ruined places and replanted which was desolate. I am the Lord, I have spoken, and I will do it. I just realized that I wrote down Ezekiel, and that is not from Ezekiel. I apologize for that. That is from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 36. Sorry about that. But we realize that when the seal comes through and the promise is there, we hear what God will do, what the blessings are for those that have been justified. The promise is that if you have been justified, therefore, then you will be sanctified. And not only will you be sanctified, but the ultimate The end goal, the teleological understanding of your sanctification is the glorification thereof. And there before me was a city. And its streets were paved with gold. Clear as crystal. You see the seal that is placed upon us by baptism is a seal that seals everything. It seals our past. It seals our present. And above all, it seals our future. As we read tonight from 1 Corinthians, it's actually echoed, and I think it's probably a little bit more articulated from Paul in Romans in chapter 6 and verse 11 where he says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. He goes on to continually say about you were dead in your sins, you were raised alive in Christ, but You are also, you carry the name of Christ. Baptism is a seal that carries the name of Christ upon it. Brother and sister, why are we called Christian? Because you are baptized into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You carry the name of the sovereign God upon you. It is a sign with authority. It is a sign of the promise. It is a sign of the name. And ultimately, it is a sign that leads to one thing. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16. 
You see, when you bear the name of God, when the promises have been extended to you as a child of Christ, when you wear that name, when it has been stamped with the authority of God, you are now not like the world. You are not merely here and there. But instead, there is an expectation. And it's not an expectation by your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not an expectation from the world either. No, the expectation is from God himself. As Ezekiel 36 pointed out to us this evening, at the very beginning we hear the condemnation of what God has claimed upon his own people. Son of man, when the people of Israel were living in their own land, they defiled it by their conduct and their actions. So I poured my wrath on them because they had shed blood in their land and because they had defiled it with their idols. There is punishment because those who were called by the name of God as the people of God, they had to leave the land. The expectation that is issued, the expectation of being part of being part of Christ's church, is not that we check off the list. But if the authority of Christ has sealed what he's done to you, if the promise has been issued and you believe that it is true and that it is issued with authority, and that you bear the name of Christ, having been baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, then you, brother and sister, when you hear the word of the law, when you are called by the name of Christ, the life that is in you must make a manifestation of its own. I said previously that baptism was an outward manifestation of an inward reality. But that extends to our lives as well. The seal of baptism is that the inward reality is that we are changed. We are set apart. We are different from those around us. The expectation is that we are the people of God and bear his name. Exodus 19, 5 and 6 say it this way. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my treasured possession amongst all peoples. For all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you shall speak to the people of Israel. Again, Leviticus 20 puts it this way to the people of Israel. You shall not walk in the customs of the nation that I am driving out before you, for they did all these things, and therefore I detested them. But I have said to you, you shall inherit their land, and I will give it to you to possess, a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God who has separated you from the peoples. You shall therefore separate the clean beast from the unclean, the unclean bird from the clean. You shall, not make for yourselves you shall not make yourselves detestable by beast or by bird or by anything 
with which the ground crawls, which I have set apart for you to hold unclean, you shall be holy to me. For I, the Lord your God, am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. The people of Israel did not live up to this. And that is why Ezekiel 36 tells us that they were scattered amongst the nations. That they were tossed to the four winds of the world in the diaspora. But that is not the end of the story. That is not where scripture ends. It doesn't end prior to verse 31 in Ezekiel 36. No, instead... It says, I will bring you back. I will restore you. I will make your cities inhabited. I will make you holy once again. And when you realize that this has been done, not because of who you are, but because of my name, then and then you will realize who I am. You will realize that the name of the Lord is important. And in fact, when we flip over to 1 Corinthians 6, this indication extends not just merely to the people of Israel, but to us as well. This passage here talks about lawsuits between believers, disagreements that happened in the church of Corinth. And instead of trying to deal with it in their own midst, in a Matthew 18 kind of situation, instead... They go to the courts. They are so despised one to another that they said, I'm going to see you in court instead and I'm going to milk you dry for everything you got. That's the kind of detestable behavior that Paul's talking about here. And he goes, how dare you? You look exactly like the world. You can't even iron out disagreements between two believers, between brothers? How in the world, when all of this comes to an end, are you going to be able to judge angels? Are you going to be able to take the disputes that are amongst the people of God and be able to indicate and winnow out the good from the bad if you can't have a meeting of minds here? In fact, Paul almost sounds fed up with them in verse 7 where he says, the very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you've been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? For the name of Christ. Because it just makes you look that much worse. Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong and you do this to your brothers. But instead... What does this state? What is the indication here? The seal is that we are different. The seal is that we are set apart. The seal is that our lives are not our own, but we belong in body and soul and life and in death to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And therefore, our baptism ultimately, at the end of the day, means that when you are sprinkled with that little bit of water, when the sacrament is placed upon you, that the promise is to you and to your children after you, that you are not to live as the world, but that you are to be holy 
as the Lord your God is holy. So what does this mean for us today? Other than just vagaries. Saying that we are holy. So there's a lot of people in this world that say, oh, I'm holy. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I'm holy. What happens when the rubber meets the road, though? Are you holy when it comes to how you deal with your coworkers? Are you holy when you deal with your employer or your employees? Are you holy when you talk about those in authority over you? Your senators, your president, your representatives, your mayor. Are you holy when you talk about your neighbor down the street? Are you holy when you talk about your brother or your sister that just keeps getting on your nerves? Are you holy when you talk about the people of your own congregation? When you bear the name of God and you bear the name of Christ, you are called to be as holy as your Lord God is. I know I don't do it. I know I fall short. I know that if I rested on my own holiness, as the parable says, I'd be coming to a wedding feast with a dirty garment. But praise the Lord that our baptism isn't of ourselves. And it's not a holiness that rests on my indication, but it's a holiness that indicates what God has done for us. And so that holiness should permeate through our lives. There's a barrier between the profane and the holy. How many check marks do we have? Okay, God, I'll give you this, but I don't want to do it here. Okay, God, I'll let you work this way in my business life, but, you know, in my home life, I just don't want to deal with this right now. Okay, I, I have no problem being holy amongst other believers, but, you know, that guy at work, I mean, his jokes are really funny. Yeah, I know when I stub my toe, I, I say things I shouldn't. When we start picking and choosing what's holy and what's profane, when we start deciding that this is part of our church life and this is part of our public life, when this is part of our holy face and this is part of our public face or this is part of our true face. We have to really ask the question. Is this of God? Is this what it means to be a Christian? Is this what it means to have the name of Christ on me? Brothers and sisters, we have been baptized... We have a sign that is placed on us. We have a seal that promises to us a guarantee, a certificate of authenticity that says that the work has been accomplished for you and for me. That he has called us by our name. That we are his. 
And so, people of God, when we leave from this place, may we hear today, throughout this week, throughout this month, throughout our lives, child, be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, we come before you asking you, Lord, to wash us holy. Lord, we remember our baptism. We have heard your name. And so, Lord, as we leave this place, let your name be praised. May you be the one who is indicated around us. May your justification be made evident in our lives. May the fruit of the Spirit be, be displayed to those around us. May you go before us, be on our lips, and be on our hearts. This we ask in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.